0: Sign up at swanprivate.com today. Mention breed love to your advisor and get $100 in free
1: Bitcoin when you make your first buy.
0: Corey Clipston, mm-hmm. welcome to the What
1: is Money Show. Good to be here, Rob. I- I'm realizing that uh, you're a little more zoomed in than me, so let me, uh, let me get tight. Uh, yes, he is. Really good to have you on here. Obviously,
0: we have a, a long standing relationship. I think we met, was it 2018?
1: Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably around then, 18 or 19, yeah.
0: I remember distinctly that Svetsky was in Los Angeles and we all met for lunch at the place Justa. of Justa. Venice. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a phenomenal little cafe in Venice, California. If you're ever in the neighborhood. <laughs> um and yeah, man, my how far things have come since then. I don't think you had even conceptualized. Give Bitcoin was maybe an idea at that point.
1: My gut tells me this was probably yeah, it was probably before Swan launched for sure. I'm not sure if give Bitcoin was out yet or not. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good crew and it was it was very foundational in a lot of ways. I've, I think I've talked about that hangout because there were probably eight or nine of us. I've probably talked about it on ten podcasts since because. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first times that I realized, okay, when you get Bitcoiners together and you realize in the first 10, 15 minutes that you have a lot of shared views, Mm -hmm. you no longer want to spend your time talking about the shared views. You want to talk about other things and you want to get to know them and you want to talk about things where you maybe have knowledge gaps or disagreements. And, you know, the conversation was just so easy and so flowing. You know, for four hours or something that we all kind of hung out there, mixing right. and matching yeah one conversation, two conversations, four conversations, diving back and then you know and and that's ever since that's whenever I get together with bitcoiners basically that's that's what you get, which is awesome yeah, that's the
0: idea of a community right is a bunch of people with shared values, and it liberates yeah. I don't you over you circumvent a lot of small talk with that because you just come together yeah. and you, you understand each other on a deeper level. So, but yeah, it's more enjoyable. Um, so that you said that was obviously pre-Swan. Where were you at that time on like professionally and then get it, get yeah. us current to today. How did you go from this again? It's 2018. I think now we're recording it this could in be, mid, yeah.
1: 2022,
0: 2022. So it's been about four years.
1: Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I guess real briefly, I used to work for really big companies like Microsoft and Morgan Stanley, McKenzie, Google, and, you know, got a finance MBA from Chicago and stuff like that. I got into startups when I left Google, uh, summer of 13, nine years ago. So I've been advising startups and, and cutting angel checks for about a decade. I started that when I was still at Google and about halfway through that, uh, Bitcoin really caught my eye in the price run up of 2017. Uh, I was coming from sort of a you know a very Silicon Valley uh, point of view, and the signal in my in my world, working with SaaS startups and market networks and video and ad tech and all of that, was very sort of Andreessen Horowitz, Union Square Ventures, and you know so I got confused real quick because hmm. all of the signals in my professional network was like VCs going to run BD or starting ICOs or whatever it is, and. I thought that friction tokens were a thing and that they could work. And there wasn't a, weren't a bunch of people that understood that I wrote, you know, probably like 50 pages of crap for a token fund thesis mm. that I could probably go and really laugh at at this point. Mm. And uh, yeah, it took me, it took me 11 full months from like May of 17 until April, probably March or April of 18 to get all the way through what we would call like the altcoin horseshoe, where you discover Bitcoin, you go and, mess around Mm -hmm. with crypto and, you know, trade on Binance and, you know, get involved in all this crap and then come out the other side, you know, kind of understanding Bitcoin ideally. And so a lot of the, I was embarrassed about that, especially once I came to understand Bitcoin. And once I was, you know, able to discern the difference between Bitcoin and all the pretenders. And then also when I saw enough of like the inner workings of the crypto industry and essentially how it's either just a short scam a long con but Mm. they're all not going to make it and won't be around for the long term and aren't building anything that's like useful for our future it's basically all dependent on new money coming in and you know there's no real world no real world demand for any of this stuff and so that was like really enlightening for me and once i was able to sort of see the formula it became easier and easier to spot where the issues were with each new product that you might look at and eventually I stopped looking at any of them unless it was specifically brought to my attention, mostly because it was sidling up to Bitcoin in some way. So if something crossed over with Bitcoin and ended up in, you know, on Bitcoin Twitter or people Mm -hmm. were asking me about a project a lot, then I would take, you know, an hour or two and go deep, figure out where the lie was and, Mm -hmm. you know, let people know uh, what was going on there. But, you know, so for me, I thought education was the thing that I acutely wished had been better when I came into the space in 2017. You know, Stefan Levera's podcast didn't start till 2018. Marty's started in 2018. Safe's book came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that we sort of rely on and point people toward. Jan's book came out in spring of 2019, like over and over again. I mean, like Brady's podcast started maybe end of 2018 or maybe even early 2019. You know so a lot of these things were kind of new and weren't there. And I just really wanted to contribute to Bitcoin education. I thought that gifting product was a good way to do it because you would give somebody some Bitcoin. You and I are both big Taleb fans, and mm-hmm. I like the idea of giving somebody some skin in the game, but then you know, bundling that with some education. But in the back of my head, since the inception, what I really thought was I just need to get into the game and have a company and have some momentum, and then you'll meet a bunch of people and then you'll come up with what you're going to do
2: mm-hmm. that would
1: make a lot more money than the gifting product. And you know that luckily is kind of what happened. We got some momentum, got to know people, and it became really clear that there was actually a ton of white space um, or greenfield or blue sky or whatever you want to say. Anyway, there was plenty of room for a Bitcoin only um, you know, financial services company to come in and the whole global Bitcoin community would essentially recommend you over uh, crypto exchanges, crypto casinos, right. and so that was kind of the insight, and uh, we decided to start Swan. Decided to do it like December of 2019, and then came up with the Swan name right at the beginning of January 2020. Most of the back end was the same as Give Bitcoin, so it was actually really quite fast. We were in market by the end of March of 2020. Just a, a quick like two and a half month uh, sort of front end build to get Swan live and. Yeah, now we're sitting here a little over two hours later or two years later. Uh, you know, sixty employees around the world, fully remote still. Um, although we do have, I think, eight people in LA and maybe six or seven in Chicago and probably four or five in Austin. Um, mostly people are just wherever. Slack and Zoom, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, just raised some money on a, like a two hundred mil valuation last month, so got got some good funding for the bear. Got to build in the bear. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, just really, really bullish on, uh, you know, ideally our goal is to be the first um, NASDAQ listed Bitcoin only consumer facing company in the next two or three years. So that's kind of what we're up to. We've got Swan and the Swan app coming out kind of for retail. We've got Swan private client services, which you obviously uh, helped out with over the years Mm -hmm. um, for high net worth, family offices and, and companies around the world. We've got Swan Advisor Services coming out later this month for uh, RAs and FAs so that they can actually work with Swan. and we can be an extended member of their teams and, and help them get Bitcoin into their client portfolios along with lots of expertise and education about Bitcoin and how it fits in, in markets and things like that. So yeah, it's an exciting exciting roadmap ahead. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride getting here, but uh, I can't imagine working on anything else. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter at all, uh, the big joke is like, when does Corey sleep? Because it is kind of true. I'm usually tweeting at like 1 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you sleep eight hours?
1: No, not even close.
0: Oh, well, wow. always been that yeah.
1: way. Mm-mm. I used to sleep a lot. I think I just um, I got young kids and kind of my deal with my wife is i get the kids in the morning whenever they wake up and then uh, I usually go to bed before she does she's got a lot of family over in Europe, so she likes to stay up late and catch them that's and true. say hi to her friends and her family and stuff like that late at night, our time in LA and kind of like morning their time. So yeah. that's kind of how we do it.
0: Very cool. Well, yeah. It's been, man, you've come a long way in a short amount of time. It's amazing. It's amazing how fast this space has matured. And you, you said you guys launched March, 2020, which was a good mm-hmm. time to start selling Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Demand has definitely exploded since then. What just to double click on something you said earlier, you said you had this because I too, I was operating a hedge fund at the time, I think when we met, I was writing valuation reports on shit coins. And you know, I think the core thing is, and tell me if you agree or disagree, but this acronym DINO decentralized and name only. That mm-hmm. it seems to be like sure, a lot of these projects had different um you know potential value propositions but it, they were always just labeling themselves as decentralized
1: mm-hmm. without
0: any credible path to actually achieve that that's not something you just design um you can't develop it like you can develop software let's say decentralizations right. much more complex is that was that your kind of um the point you would hit as well Is that a lot of these projects is, just they just weren't decentralized
1: it was it was one of the points yeah i mean it was very clear that you know these things not only weren't they decentralized on a spectrum today, Mm -hmm. so like the first derivative, but they were also more centralizing over time, Mm. especially anything proof of stake by definition is more centralizing over time. The second derivative is towards centralization, which is kind of what you see in, in all of these protocols today. Like that's just how they're all gonna work. So like that simply by definition, no proof of stake protocol, is going to be decentralized and it, it will never be accepted by you know all humans as a fair protocol on which to build anything. It's all at the whim of the protocols, owners, and controllers. And you're mm-hmm. just Zynga building on Facebook, waiting to get rug pulled, basically. Yeah. Only Bitcoin is actually decentralized. And that was the framework that I came at it through, too, right? Because I was, I basically, my specialty was getting involved in, you know recently funded seed C- and a stage silicon valley startups and probably the thing i did the best was i would take transactional revenue startups and help them develop subscription revenue or SaaS revenue mm-hmm. and then i would take SaaS companies and help them de- develop like marketplace revenue mm-hmm. where other people could play in their garden so i studied up mm-hmm. on platforms all the time spent a lot of time with like nfx guild all of the andresen you know information on on platforms and market networks and network effects i was very much into network effects back then and so i was very much seeing it through that lens of you know you want something that uh nobody can rug pull you on nobody mm-hmm. can change it underneath your feet you can you can feel comfortable building on top of the internet you can feel comfortable mm-hmm. building on top of you know in general like the u.s legal structure you know, Mm. or securities laws in the US that don't change very fast. And, you know, they they never sort of like retroactively applied, right? So you can Mm. kind of build on what exists today. And that's what Bitcoin was like. This is something that you can actually build on. And that's that's where I wanted to focus my time. I was like sitting here looking at altcoins and looking at Bitcoin. And I was like, if I'm going to work in this industry and I'm obsessed with this, of course, I'm going to work in this industry. Like the Mm. only thing I can work on is Bitcoin because everything else is just there's all this like market risk essentially that has nothing to do with my own efforts. And I wanted to bet on myself. So.
0: Hmm. yeah. very cool. Let me, so were you involved, was it DNA fund that yeah. was in LA and that was that where you got the insight into the underbelly of this crypto market? Was it I've seen there?
1: way more. It, it's interesting. It, so I'll explain kind of like what that was a little bit, but I will just, cut to the chase i've seen way more of the underbelly sense mm. like 10 times more of it since um i think it was a little bit of a larp to some degree um and that's something that i didn't actually understand uh, at the time i was just actually sorry what's a
0: what's something. a larp i've heard it used uh, i don't know what it means
1: yeah it basically means like pretend i think it stands for live action role player so it's oh, okay. basically like right. a, a non-playing <laughs> character in a video game basically gotcha. um so yeah larp is like someone who's not actually a main character <laughs> Got it. Anyway, okay. So I think that's kind of what it was like, and that's that's kind of the the thing that those guys kind of do. Um, the guy that was fronting it was actually a good dude. He's probably the first person that ever took me to Juusta. He's a Venice guy. It's you yeah. know, James Glasscock, who was like a long long time twenty year exec around L.A. Everybody loves him. He hires well. He didn't understand what he was working on, right? At all, like he didn't understand like really what crypto was. He was just building a team because there was a bunch of money around, and you know there were people willing to back it and fund it. Um, and so he was recruited by, by Brock Pierce and Scott Mm -hmm. Walker to kind of build this sort of agency slash advisory type firm to work with, you know, essentially like up and coming ICOs and ones that had just completed their ICOs and, and, you know, all the, all the crypto companies basically, and, you know, roadshows and conferences and, you know, social media agencies to help with telegram groups and and cutting lots of checks, like investing in these companies, investing in their equity, investing in all this other stuff, Mm -hmm. You know, what I didn't realize really is that it was just like a very deliberate uh, spectacle, and that basically the principals made all their money out the side door.
0: Huh. What what does that mean exactly? uh,
1: I mean, it's kind of like if somebody, you know, runs for president, even when they know they're not going to become president. You meet a a bunch of people during the campaign, you raise money, you can funnel that money toward your friends and you can sort of like cut business deals with the people that you meet. So the money comes in the side door.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: So, you know, we talked, you ever heard somebody say like, well, I'd leave this job, but it's such a good seat. Yeah. That means that they make a bunch of money or get a bunch of other benefits Mm -hmm. other than just the pay from their main gig. So like if you're a city council person and you've been in the seat for like 20 years, and you know, there's the favors start to accrue. It's like, well, mm-hmm. your kid got into USC on scholarships, sort of, specially, and then you know, mm-hmm. you got that membership to the country club, and then mm-hmm. you know, your daughter got chosen for choir at the church, and you know, right. little you, they got into Seven Arrows or Crossroads or whatever, and like, little by little, you're like, well, shit, I've gotten like millions and millions of dollars of value out of the seat that paid me 150 grand a year. Yeah. Right. You know, so that's, that's what it is. Like a lot of this is just kind of like people get a seat in crypto and then all the money comes in the side door because they're in like the secret telegram groups doing the, you know, the insider trading and the rug pulls and stuff like that.
0: Wow. Interesting. So do you think you you mentioned that the guy that started that was good dude, right? Didn't really know what he was investing in.
1: He was pulled, he was pulled in to run mm-hmm. it. So I think they called him president. Um, but the owners were Scott and Brock.
0: Gotcha. So I remember that time, I mean, I was new to the Space then, sixteen, seventeen. 17, um, very much had not, this is, I think safety's book helped crystallize it for me. That's like Bitcoin over everything. Uh, but this was pre that. So do you, at that time, I got the sense that a lot of people were super gung-ho about these projects, thought they were doing good things. Do you think most people actually thought that or do you think a lot of people knew that they were just peddling bullshit and you know making money out the side door and doing these other things
1: i know for a fact that a lot of people knew exactly what was going on and that it was all crap
2: Hmm. Uh, you just
0: you think most people thought that just that makes me feel kind of like an idiot most is most is more than that sooner
1: most (laughs) is more than 50 percent. that's a low bar so yeah definitely most yeah but that still leaves a lot of people that thought there was something going on and still do to this day.
0: That's interesting. So those DNA pitch days down there, those just a just innovation innovation theater.
1: I didn't know that at yeah. the time. Yeah, I mean I I I really like I mean I could probably dig up like I did like a radio show in like probably January or February of 2018 and like I still mm. thought like blockchain was a thing and then mm. you know this stuff was going to matter someday potentially or you know, we were just like trying to place bets and stuff like that. Um, you know, I've talked about this a couple of times and it was fun to do Jimmy Song's show a couple of weeks ago and actually like recount the story. But like the beginning of the bursting of my crypto bubble mm-hmm. was actually meeting Jimmy uh, at BlockCon where you and I sat and watched Taleb and Naval mm-hmm. in, uh, in 2018. But at the 2017 conference, probably October 30th or November, November 1st or something like that, 2017, that's where I met Jimmy. And it was like the first time that I actually met somebody uh, who was just absolutely disgusted by all the stuff around him at a crypto conference. And I, I thought that was very interesting and it sort of made me start going down the Jimmy Rabbit hole. And, and then that got to Andreas and then Safe's book and uh, some like uh, Let's, Let's Talk Bitcoin podcasts um, from way back in the day and stuff like that. And yeah, that's kind of what helped me get over the hump and realize I wanted nothing to do with this stuff by yeah, March, April of eighteen.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. 18. That was the year. Um, yeah. Jimmy does such a good job of it too, because he disparages everything, but I don't know. I, I just admire him. How he's always going from kind of the moral ethical angle. It, I guess I just like Jimmy's brand of toxicity. Just a personal aside there. We should mention here perhaps the inspiration for the Swan name. Yeah. Uh, if you want to tell that story, because I think it's related to Taleb.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been a big Taleb fan since the very first time I heard of him, which was a Malcolm Gladwell article in the New Yorker in like fall of 2002, around the time that Taleb's first uh, sort of like pop book came out, which was Fooled by Randomness. Mm-hmm. And it just told the story. The, the article was called Blowing Up. You can actually just look up Taleb Blowing Up Gladwell or something, and there's a PDF on, on the New Yorker archives. Um, but yeah, just kind of told the story of him having the other side of the LTCM trades. Mm-hmm. And then you go into Fold by randomness and he starts to develop, you know, the whole theory of just like life is full of cheap and free call options. You just have to learn to recognize them and, and try to collect these free and cheap call options that have kind of unbounded upside. So anyway, that was where I got into Taleb and then Black Swan came out, I want to say 2006. And it was an interesting time because it was just so go-go at the time I had just left McKenzie and, uh, and moved back to Chicago to do private equity consulting. And I opened up like a $5 million restaurant nightclub on the river in Chicago and was Hmm. just having a blast. And, and yet there was this, this murmur in the sort of like underbelly of weirdness going on because all kinds of people were picking up massive credit card balances and keeping spreadsheets of like their zero interest credit cards. And it just seemed like the party was going to go on forever. And mm-hmm. every bartender in Chicago owned six condos and houses in Scottsdale. And it was just like, you know, uh, it just didn't seem something was wrong and you did, couldn't quite put your finger on what it was. And, you know, I was reading and rereading these Taleb books the whole time and I sent the black swan to my, my former New York roommate and really good friend who's on the distress bank loan sales desk at Goldman. Um, he got a copy for everyone on his desk and they all read it. Mm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I don't know if it's correlation or causation, but they were short when the thing collapsed. Wow, um, that's awesome! so they did just fine. He's still there. He's like one of the longest running people there at Goldman now. Um, but yeah, I, I love the idea of the black swan, which is something that like very few people, if anyone is sort of aware of that once it happens, uh, basically affects us all or just has like dramatic effects. Yeah. And so for me, Bitcoin is the largest black swan in hundreds of years, maybe millennium. I don't, I don't know how long it's- Maybe ever. <laughs> got to go back, maybe ever. Yeah. But it's this thing that like, you know, a very small number of people were really paying attention to this thing and trying to, to, to create digital cash. You know, the problem that needed to be solved was sort of described 36 years before. in, in the paper that talked about the Byzantine generals problem in 82 mm. and a very small number of people, we know who they are now, right. It's like Wei Dai and Adam back and Austin Hill was around, and, you know, a bunch of other people trying to figure this out. Um, And then somebody solved it and very few people were looking out for it. And very few people even recognized when presented with the paper in October, November of 2008, that it had been solved. It was just like easier to be skeptical, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to the point where, you know, he was running blocks by himself for a few days Mm -hmm. when he launched the network and anybody could have been picking up these coins. It was like very difficult. So that to me is like the perfect example of a black swan. And then what I love about it is then you go from the black swan event in 2008 and then from 2008, 2009 through to present and off into the future, uh, you know, there's this whole other connotation around swan, like the white swan that used to be an ugly duckling. Mm. And Bitcoin was like this, you know, hobbyist in the basement with his GPUs and all that kind of mm. stuff. And I love the, 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 the movie Rise and Rise of Bitcoin that features the engineer Daniel Morass. Hmm. his wife sort of, you know, allowing him to mine in the basement, <laughs> that hmm. kind of thing. You know, it's like, it's, a, it's on prime. You can just watch it for free if you got prime, but, um, yeah. you know, and it was Silk Road and, and Ross and all of that it was kind of 2011, 12, 13 and Mount Gox crashing and everybody losing their Bitcoin. And so it was kind of still a, a, in ugly duckling big time. Yeah. And now it's just turning into this beautiful Swan and we have, you know, eloquent, uh, pitchman for Bitcoin, like yourself and Lynn Alden and Preston, and, you know, maybe the most perfect pitchman you could possibly imagine. And Michael Saylor, who's you know, <laughs> a genius, genius level scientist and mathematician statistician, but also has been selling enterprise software to governments and large fortune 500 companies around the world for 30 years. Yeah. Like the dude knows a turn of phrase that works and he practices them like he's the best, fric- he's one of the best salespeople in the world. Yeah. And now he's selling Bitcoin. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, you, you don't, none of us even need to like come up with our own pitches and analogies anymore. You just go to the sailor menu and like choose three and then go to dinner.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he really is like the Kraken or something. He's just yeah, such a force to be reckoned with.
1: Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, him and, and Ross and Parker and like all these just amazing people now that you can look to and, you know, like people like me who are, have to talk about Bitcoin quite a lot. I can just lean on that. And occasionally I have an original thought, but I don't need tons of them um, because a lot of people just want to talk to somebody one-on-one and they want to be able to ask the questions that they want to ask, you know? So that's that's where the rest of us come in that may not be like the biggest thought leaders, but we're still going to be the most knowledgeable person that most people we meet are going to know when it comes to Bitcoin. And so, you know, we kind of all have our role.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, that's well said. We most certainly do. And I, I like how you, you referred to those early days where Satoshi was just mining by himself. I mean, if that's not the most perfect instance of those free and cheap call options, um, I don't yeah. know what is. Um, so, okay, let's get into this a little bit then. All right, Bitcoin. of what we're going to talk about today i think is just bitcoin versus everything else right what's what distinguishes bitcoin from shitcoin part of this will go into the cultural aspects of like um, bitcoin toxicity and um, other i guess other crypto communities how they perceive it and perceive themselves and so on and so forth my first question to you and this is something that i think about a lot actually is is Bitcoin a means or an end in itself? How do you view that?
1: Oh man, you're gonna philosophize with me.
0: You know it. <laughs> you know where you're at.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, I mean, I would respond with you know, the the little girl animated GIF on Twitter. I'd say, why oh. not both? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think uh, we know we believe, and I think are, you know, pretty certain about some of the good things that on balance it's going to bring about like increased productivity and freedom and, you know, growth. And, you know, I think it, it changes people mm-hmm. in a big way. I know you talk about that a lot. And a lot of my favorite people in Bitcoin, you know, talk about that a lot, whether it's Tomer or Gigi or John Vallis case. And like a lot of that is just kind of what I enjoy thinking about. And I'd spend a lot more of my own time on, on, where we're headed as people with sort of a just and trustworthy Mm -hmm. uh, strata on which to build, like that foundation just being so much better, Mm -hmm. just lets you plan and seven generation thinking and all these things we talk about all the time. So I think that is sufficiently answers for sure Bitcoin is a means to an end because I think a lot of these things happen and decreased tyranny and no hyperinflation and all these different things right mm. so that's definitely answered now is Bitcoin an end in itself I think yes because it's kind of it's a thing that didn't exist that now it does so in that respect you know whatever it's contingent upon there being humans. Bitcoin is an end in itself to some degree mm. because humans are going to interact with this new element or this new network or this new sort of reality uh, in ways that are largely but not wholly predetermined by its characteristics.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a hard question. I w- you know, my The answer I've been working with myself for some time is Bitcoin is a means, freedom is the end. And the thought there was to not dogmatize something, right? Because who knows, right? It's almost once you make something an end, that it blinds you to other possibilities. Like Mm -hmm. if pre-Bitcoin, I thought the US dollar was an end, then I probably would have never looked at Bitcoin, for instance, just... By way of yeah, analogy, I mean,
1: this, this is a loaded question because it's going to lead us down into where the meat of this discussion will, will probably be, but I'll say right off the bat that freedom is not a universally accepted, uh, there's no definition that fits for everyone as to what type of freedom would be desired by all people at
0: all times. Interesting. I'd like to double click on that too, but I, to finish the sure. thing about, I mean, you can't,
1: you can't be completely free to do anything you want all the time, obviously, because you run into other people.
0: Yeah, the the western civilization thing is life, liberty and property, right? So, you're free to do whatever you want up to the limiting principle of other people's private person or property, which is the same thing. So, yeah, it's not and someone someone else has come down on me about this like you can't say freedom, you can't maximize maximize freedom because you if you're a maximalist for anything, that means you have no limiting principles. All right. So if you say you're a Bitcoin maximalist at all costs, well, that means to hell with everything else, just make Bitcoin work. Which again, I'm not saying I don't know. It's a complicated question. But with freedom, well, I at think, least I think Bitcoin it's a Maximalist as it's
1: as it's understood. Remember, Vitalik coined the term, and mm-hmm. some Bitcoiners decided to just own it, just like often other attacked groups will decide to take an epithet or a slander and just decide to, to own it and throw it on a hat anyway. Yeah, just like we all became um,
0: psychopaths recently.
1: Sure, exactly. You know, dark tetrad or whatever. Um, so uh, I got to remember the origin. And so I call myself a Bitcoiner. And I, I'm one of the people that, you know, will basically stop anyone who says Bitcoin maximalist, regardless of what show I'm on, and explain that I would kind of reject the term and I'm not down with it. Mm. And I'd much rather just call myself a Bitcoiner. Um, If anything, a Bitcoin rationalist, but even in the context of how it was initially sort of uh, launched at Bitcoiners by Vitalik, creator of the longest running con in the crypto space, Ethereum, which doesn't have a future. Um, In that context, it was only in the context of cryptocurrencies, Hmm. which is a much more limited scope than what you would get into if you started talking about freedom maximalism, because that's sort of like in all things.
0: Right. Yeah, so I mean, Bitcoin, it seems way bigger than our ability to get our head around it in a lot of ways. I know Gigi wrote a piece where Bitcoin, the map is the territory in Bitcoin, for instance, that's one really big quote that matters for everything. But to say something like that, clearly, uh, it's a very audacious claim, but also Bitcoin sort of makes you think that. We're also struggling with this means end thing. Um. Is this just an indication of the significance of Bitcoin that we like, Again, when we say with freedom, like to maximize freedom has a limiting principle of property built into it. Well, to maximize maximize Bitcoin would also have the same limiting principle built into it because Bitcoin is property. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is this an indication of the significance of Bitcoin that we struggle with old, analogies or language to try and explain it?
1: Yeah. I mean, people like to explain things with analogies and people like to learn things through analogy. And I think there are some that are better than others and kind of approximate it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, you just kind of have to understand Bitcoin to the best of your ability, like for what it is. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the other thing is, you know, we've, we've all noticed that to understand Bitcoin, you have to draw from so many different fields of knowledge to get to it. And so that's kind of where you open up the the different ways of looking at it and thinking about it and placing it in different systems of thought and kind of just engaging it a million different ways. I mean, it's, it's just one of the most fun topics to engage on that I can imagine. But for me, I have settled in my own mind and for myself and for my efforts that i think the best thing for the world for humans is to accelerate bitcoin adoption as fast as possible Hmm. this is something that you know andrea said seven years ago or something where if, if bitcoin adoption can can head off one incident of hyperinflation in anywhere in the world then we all have a moral obligation to make it happen as fast as possible. So you'll never see me saying like hey I hope people don't understand bitcoin so I can get the cheap sats. Right. I don't believe that at all. Right. Like I am like I I grew up you know with with money not being valued in my in my family or my social situation like at all. At all. I was in my 20s before I started to think about money as anything other than just to pay for like basic shit. Uh and so you know for me now it's like i just want to have this bright orange future i want it to definitely happen i want as many people as i know now to enjoy something close to the the steady state or Uh just i just want to pull it forward as fast as possible and i want to make sure that it doesn't get delayed Mm -hmm. So I always say like what we always do at Swan and what I always try to do at all times is always do what's best for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. Because I think if you can like try to figure out what those things are, and there are are gray areas, but if you can try to figure out what those things are, like you're going to be doing the most high impact activity possible in the world at all times.
0: Yeah. There's nothing
1: more, there's nothing more important.
0: I agree completely. And, I, you know, I would perhaps summarize it by just saying, this is drawn from Ayn Rand, but property is the basis of civilization. So we need unbreakable property to have an unbreakable civilization, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this will lead us, I think, more into the meat of what we want to talk about here. You mentioned Ethereum. Ethereum being the longest running scam. I think you said also I had... Con, <laughs> con, con, but yes. And it has Similar. no future, which you said with yeah. a lot of emphasis. Mm-hmm. I think F proponents, Ethereum proponents would say, Oh no, it has a market proven use case. It's been around for this cycle down cycle. You know, um, it's here to stay, I guess would be their counter argument. How do yeah. you respond to that? How do you substantiate your claim that it's a longest running con and it has no future?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just what I believe based on looking at the facts and kind of understanding, you know, understanding Bitcoin and understanding Ethereum to the degree that I do. Um, this is something that, you know, can't work as proof of work. They're moving off of it specifically because it can't work. They're moving over to proof of stake. They're is already that because Is that
0: because they can't compete with Bitcoin directly as proof of work? Is that why it can't work? It,
1: it, it is a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, if you play out the game theory, there's only going to be one proof of work network. Mm-hmm. You don't need any other ones. Right. You know, so as these things grow, uh, you know, essentially the the network that has the shelling point is just going to dominate and be, you know, thousands of times, millions of times larger uh, in compute power and security and, and sort of everything uh, mm-hmm. on the proof of work side. And then proof of state just can't work because it centralizes over time. There's always right. going to be, you're always going to be plugging holes in the dike, you know, Mm -hmm. patching something up over here and something springs out over here. The complexity of the Ethereum roadmap alone should tell you that this thing is just this Rube Goldberg machine that's just like ridiculous. Um, You're already seeing that there's going to be a layer of like mass centralization um, with, with liquid staking and staked ETH, and there's already huge problems there. And mm. it looks like Lido is going to control the world and it's owned by Andresen. Or if if ETH ever, ever succeeded, all of the money would basically go to Andreessen Horowitz, Coinbase, Paradigm, which is Coinbase co-founder, mm. and like Jump Capital, which was basically the, the Do Kwan's partner in crime mm. for, for the Luna Ponzi. Um, so it would just be basically those, those crypto insiders that get all the money. Hmm. Um, You know, and they're in bed with JP Morgan and the Saudi government. And, you know, this is just like the only way that Ethereum exists far into the future is through seeking to be co-opted by the existing system to become Hmm. part of the fiat system and to work in concert with governments and with banks uh, contra Bitcoin to position itself as the green network, to you know, say proof of work is nasty and bad, and Bitcoiners mm. are toxic. And you know you don't really want decentralization. You don't really want to like not be able to control this thing, right? Like, don't we need to trust somebody? Who can we trust?
2: Mm.
1: I need mm. somebody to look up to. I need a tyrant. I need somebody that can help an me. An authority. I need, somebody to, I need an authority figure. Mm. And they can still get that if they uh, play ball with Ethereum. Mm. But it has so, zero chance of competing with Bitcoin for the purpose of like, you know, global sound money and, and any sort of like decentralized, uh, trustless layer one of the mm-hmm. internet of money. That's going to be Bitcoin. Just yeah. Full stop.
0: Yeah. Agreed completely. And I guess it's.
1: There's also like, like the native currency being gas, it's obviously was one of the huge problems with the Ethereum network, right? And So they're going to drop fees down, but they're going to grow again. So if you basically, if the asset costs more, the more it gets used, the price is always going to rise of of transaction fees, right? So, you know, essentially the game theory there is that there will always be another L1 network that has more, slightly more centralization and lower transaction fees And it's a race to the bottom until, Mm -hmm. you know, Solana is basically, you know, 98% centralized with 2% decentralization. It goes down all the time. They get in a little telegram group and like restart the thing. they all turn their keys at the same time and restart the network. Mm -hmm. And like only 2% past that you're on AWS or, you know, MySQL or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that game theoretically, it's just much better on a centralized database. This is all just kind of, again, it's LARPing.
0: Yeah. It's a verb too. (laughs) LARPing and LARPers. So I agree here. The proof of work tends towards one. You only need one, right? You only need one anchor into economic or yep. energetic and proof reality. of stake.
1: And proof of stake trends towards spreadsheets.
0: And proof of stake tends towards spreadsheets. Okay. But proof of work, too, I think this is important. It's the only known way to. Give us high assurance of integrity of the money supply, right? That's what gold was, and that's what Bitcoin is effectively. That there has to be a cost associated with the production of money to give producers skin in the game so that you don't end up with the opposite situation like we have in the world today with central banks. They have basically zero cost to produce and therefore um, run wild on the counterfeiting side. So, we tend toward one proof of work chain because proof of work is the only way to ensure sound money. That all makes sense. Mm-hmm. That then means other networks like Ethereum and all the others are forced to adopt alternative consensus mechanisms at some point, or at least feign to be doing so, um, to remain relevant in the eyes of the market. What, what are they trying to, to do keep there? the pump
1: going? To keep the pump going. Yeah. It's that simple.
0: Keeping the pump going by moving the goalpost.
1: <laughs> yeah. You have to have a new narrative every six to 12 months and new promises of how it's going to get fixed. And, you know, or in, in the, you know, if you're looking beyond Ethereum, which is where like most of the money is made at this point, because you can take something from zero to like, you know, 5 billion and, and clip a billion of that. If you're one of the early VCs or something mm-hmm. like that, um, you know, that's, that's just what they're looking at is like, what can I market? What's the winning formula that these dumb money funds in the retail alongside of them are going to buy? Uh, which PhDs can I sort of pay off to put their names on the paper? Mm. Uh, who sounds good enough and has Mm. the personality to sort of like fight for this thing and who, who would make a good cult figure, you know, and they just like compete. It's like, you know, Hoskinson and Richard Hart and Vitalik, and Amin from Avalanche and, you know, Brad Garlinghouse from Ripple and Mashensky from Celsius token. And like, they basically just, they end up with these weird battle armies, like the, the link Marines for Sergei. They all think the dude is <laughs> Satoshi. Like, I mean, they end up with these weird cults of personality. Around the hexagons. These because yeah, yeah. Huh. They end up, they end up with this like massive army of devotees who are really just like bag holders for this weird cult. Um, but it's wow. like a money cult. Yeah. And, you know, and you see it cause like you go, you go after these people and like, if you're, you know, uh, if you're in media, your comment threads will just be destroyed. Your DMS will be full. They just D mm. D O S your time. If you're a founder and you go after them, they're going to go and hit your, like, you know, trust pilot and just score your company, one star, mm. or destroy your app ratings in the Apple store. Uh, you know, if you're a public company CEO, CEO and you come after shit coins, like they're going to go call all the crypto funds are going to call, call all their buddies at your funding sources and at the funds that own your, your stock. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you can't say what you mean. Like almost nobody wow. can really actually say the truth about these things, you know, and the only way that I can so far is because we've deliberately taken like absolutely no crypto funds or VCs with crypto investments at Swan at all. And Jan and I already did the 10 X voting thing. So like nobody can ever alter the path of Swan. Hmm. So we've been very deliberate about that. Like, you know, there are other companies that have all kinds of conflicts on their cap table and taking money from the same backers as, you know, like you take money from Polychain, like that's who backed Luna, Mm -hmm. right? That's who started Luna. Like that's going to be difficult to sort of chart your own path forever right um
0: so i like this anyway. framing money cults because i mm-hmm. you know every culture is a cult you know to some extent at least um it's kind of the way we organize ourselves to some extent we have leaders yeah. and then we have people that that follow do you think inside of these money cults that the leaders are in the know they know they're peddling scams and I'm not I'm clearly not gonna hold you to this just from the outside looking in. Yeah. But a lot of the bag holders or the members of the cults are just they genuinely believe the false narrative.
1: You're asking if the, the bag holders believe the false narrative. So we'll take what I'm saying is the- they don't care. They don't care actually because they're fighting for their team. They like are actually trying, so they could even they play the role. Just like an analyst that's trying to present his position and is, you know, trying to short the heck out of, you know, a penny stock, and he's putting mm-hmm. out hit piece decks and sending it to all his friends. Like, it's not objective journalism. Mm-hmm. That analyst is putting out a hit piece deck, right? They're trying to present all the worst things about the company. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, there's no incentive for a bag holder of, you know, HEX or LINK or whatever, or Cardano, to be objective about it. Mm-hmm they their incentive is just to be wildly positive and say that they're like this is the best guy oh my god like alex is like jesus you guys are wrong for attacking him he's so good oh okay but that's why bitcoin is awesome because there's no fucking leader
0: so my question is this and the (laughs) and i'm going to pick on the hexagons because i just think that name is ridiculous um if hexagons believe in the hex token or hex project yeah clearly they don't have an incentive to say anything bad about it to put out these hit pieces Mm -hmm. and pump it and all that but they do have an incentive to be to engage in critical thinking and realize hex is you know has a lot of problems and they could just sell all their hex tokens and go buy bitcoin or whatever more desirous asset they choose um so does that not imply then that they have drink the kool-aid so to speak and they they actually believe whatever narratives being there are
1: there are different crypto scams for different levels of intellect (laughs) okay so (laughs) ethereum is for the one that for the people that like think they're smart
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and hex is for the people that just like are very easy to put into a filter bubble and they're the types of people that like you know love their leader to be super rich and they just kind of want to like you know cheer on somebody that they can like kind of look up to so they they don't mind it's entertainment to them to make richard Hart rich wow and they they just think it's like part of the fun you know like wow i don't know it's kind of like watching kardashians or something like you're you know that you're little by little by buying the mobile game that has like a 17 dollar a month subscription for like dressing the kardashians in the morning you know you're just making them more rich and that's why they look like that yeah you know but but that's the marketing you know, I mean there was there's some of this with politicians a lot of times too. Like you get billionaire politicians and they flaunt their wealth, and you know, kind of that that's their thing. It's like, I'm so rich, I'm so powerful, I have all this badass shit. And that signpost is like, if you get on my team, at least you'll kind of get to feel like you're part of that.
0: Right. Okay. So now this is something Jeff Booth talks a lot about that he thinks all of our actions come out of a desire or pursuit for love and belonging. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you, th- I mean, these money cults are preying on certain demographics that they're recruiting yeah. people they think would yeah. be a good fit to...
1: I mean, Hex is advertised by direct mail all mm-hmm. over the place, all over the UK in particular. Uh mm. so They advertise on buses. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> they sent direct mail to every address in the Ledger hack. <laughs> wow. I mean, this guy literally was like... He was known as the Spam King before oh, wow. he got into crypto. Uh, yeah, so
0: I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. What, okay. So, so he so-
1: understands he understands direct response, and so when you're talking direct response, means like marketing directly to the end customer. Like mm. he doesn't need to do media and podcasts other than his own, yeah. because he's trying to get people into his filter bubble, and they never talk to, you. they don't watch your show. Right, right, right. They don't see my tweets. Right.
0: So drawing drawing people into the filter bubble, which is almost like an echo yeah. chamber, I guess. Mm-hmm. And exactly. then they're just, well, then you're, you're hoping you're, to get rich. Your ability yes. to engage in critical thought is inhibited because you're not relating to the outside world. Yeah, And all of his, I have noticed this too, the hexagon marketing stuff. I saw this in an Economist magazine, actually. I think, I might be wrong here. But like, you know, in the back of the Economist magazine, they have all these random ads. Mm-hmm. I think he had one in there and it's always this token has done 6,000% ARR mm-hmm. forever and it outperforms Bitcoin. And, you know, it's like very blatant kind of Ponzi marketing. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess it's just targeted at the people that works on.
1: Yep, exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's like uh magazines in New York, like AM and some of these like subway magazines and like the back page will have like, the most recent one I saw was, uh, It was Unicoin and it was like, you know, the celebrity faces across the bottom that are like advisors to it. And it was like the usuals, like Mr. Wonderful, of course, total scammer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Lance Bass from NSYNC, (laughs) you know, it was like six of these people. He's been still in hearts for decades. (laughs) Yeah. Lending their like tier C celebrity to another shit coin.
0: That's funny. Okay. So that's all really interesting money cults as a way to look at these projects. That's a good framing,
1: but we should turn that around and like talk about is Bitcoin a money cult?
0: Well, we are a culture, so we have some cultish tendencies at least. I mean, it's, it's loaded in the language, right? When we say cult, that means some bad thing. Yeah. We say a culture. That's a good thing. That's what you want. So, but where do you draw the line between the two? Uh,
1: I mean, I think all cults have leaders,
0: right? So there's your difference.
1: And it's one difference, yeah. but it doesn't mean there aren't some cult like things that arise in a, in a community as large and diverse as Bitcoin is. right? Um, and like, I would be lying if I didn't say that sometimes dunking on shit coiners is really fun. And there's like a sense right. of being on a team when you dunk on some shit coiners. And like, when you win arguments handily in public with shit coiners, like that's fun. I'm competitive. Mm-hmm. I grew up playing sports at a high level, multiple sports at a high level and mm-hmm. I am very competitive and I'm aware of that. And I think probably people who follow me on Twitter are pretty aware of that for better or worse. Um, you know, but I think you, you can, there are people that I think are kind of just like that all the time. And some of them are really into Bitcoin.
0: Right. Yeah. I would say not
1: to acknowledge that would just be being false.
0: Yes. I appreciate that. Um, It seems like treat disagreeableness is pretty common among Bitcoiners. You kind of have to be at the fringes of understanding the world to understand Bitcoin, I think out of the gate. So that, that makes sense. Now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy-nominated journalist, bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space, and the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out hard money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I want to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then, when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible, and then you hope they will cover your bill. And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare, using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove, where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. Okay, let me ask you, this what, what what if any data we'll focus on ethereum because that's the one whatever the second highest market cap the one the one alternative crypto asset most people don't think is a scam what data if any would cause you to change your mind on ethereum being a scam to clarify mm.
1: I don't I, I don't I don't really foresee a way in which it can be a decentralized platform for useful activity beyond the crypto casino. Mm. So, you know, even the I guess you know, we know we know that like 98 99% of defi activity is just Professional investors and day traders just playing crypto casino games.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's also possible to go into one of these DeFi platforms and like post collateral and take mm-hmm. out a loan and buy a car or pay a tax, you know, pay taxes or whatever. Like you can do that, right? Mm-hmm. So then I think the argument is the asset that will be used. In the not too different future not too distant future uh, that you will post for the collateral is not going to be ethereum because people will not want to hold Ethereum for the long run because it's not as good a store of value as Bitcoin hmm. for many 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 reasons
0: so ethereum would have to basically completely Revamp or what it represents itself to be, like it couldn't call itself decentralized. Obviously, if it would yeah. ever migrate to non. I think it'll turn into
1: eventually. Like I, I would expect that a lot of the code will end up being run as like permissioned blockchains, mm-hmm. and so it all becomes sort of like you know financial IT. Mm-hmm. But I think that's basically what you're looking at from like all of crypto is basically it's like super over investment in financial it Mm -hmm. information technology. So they're creating like settlement layers and ways to, you know, to trade and send funds and rails and all this kind of stuff that is, um, you know, could be done with like a thousandth or maybe a millionth
0: of of the effort. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, okay. That's helpful. Let me, sorry, to back up just a little bit, we should have done this earlier, but we keep talking about scams. So you know how I like to double click on the language around here. How do you define a scam?
1: Well, I mean, in shorthand, because, you know, Twitter is where a lot of this conversation goes down and you only have so many characters per tweet. Right. Um, I think it's used colloquially in the discussion, between Bitcoin Twitter and crypto Twitter and where they intersect and overlap. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically to just say like, regardless of your intentions, this thing is not gonna make it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I don't care about A for effort. I care about truth. And I don't actually care about your intention. I care about the result. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's, actually not that hard if you are an objective observer to if you have like pretty good ability to research to come to the correct conclusion in a few months at this point with as much information as out as is out there if some crypto people haven't gotten a hold of you and fooled you and put you off on the wrong path and you're kind of left on your own as like a relatively intelligent sort of critical thinker with research capabilities you will understand what's going on here. And you'll also understand like what Bitcoin is and place your bets there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the massive imbalance largely, maybe completely created by $40 billion of investment, this is equity investment in crypto, not purchases of coins, $40 billion of investment in crypto equities over the last year and a half, Spearheaded by Andreessen Horowitz, with a bunch of their friends and, and other funds, you know, ostensibly competing with them, mostly cooperating, um, has made it extremely clear that where maybe in 2016, maybe even in 2017, 18, you could say, well, crypto is top of funnel, and a lot of those people come into Bitcoin. It's not the case anymore. They're not paying lip service to Bitcoin. They're not mentioning Bitcoin you know, circle position papers of 10 pages don't mention the word Bitcoin. Coinbase didn't tweet the word Bitcoin for nine months. Mm. Um, They're trying to get people to completely skip Bitcoin and just play the crypto casino games because they own the casino. Mm. And so I don't think anyone objectively in crypto and Bitcoin or not in anything can look at what's going on with the Andreessen Horowitz led crypto scam game and say, that's good for Bitcoin on net it's no longer good for Bitcoin and it hasn't been for some years now. Mm-hmm. Um, They're active enemies of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And whereas I used to say, like, I think that the biggest risks to Bitcoin are like U S government. Like that was the only thing, you know, my, my mission statement for the company that I wrote in February or March of 2020 was 10 million Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. And talked about, you know, a uh, intransigent minority and sort of very sort of Talebian and thesis. And, and it was basically saying like, we're in this race to get 10 million Bitcoiners in the US because that's the only government that really matters for the world system. Um, that would be the three or 4% intransigent minority that you need who have skin in the game, own a decent chunk of their net worth in Bitcoin and understand it well enough to be able to fight for it at mm. you know, City Hall or run for government or make donations or argue with their local country club, or whatever it is. Like you need, the, you need that intransigent minority to fight for, for right. And the game has changed in the last two years because of that flood of easy money that went into the easy money game where the thesis of crypto VCs is fast time to liquidity, we can make our own weather. That's the Hmm. only two slides you need in the deck. We have fast time to liquidity because we can pump this token and dump it quick. And we can make our own weather because we're allowed to market these unregistered securities with no repercussions, with false claims, however we want to, and nobody will even slap our wrist. That's the game afoot. And so I think that now it's really clear that crypto and non-Bitcoin cryptocurrencies are by far the number one enemy of Bitcoin and by far the number one hurdle for Bitcoin to get through.
0: So when you say we make our own weather, that specifically means immunity to regulation to some extent?
1: No, make our own weather is something that they all talked about going back to like, you know, 2018, 19, whatever. This is like uh, Kyle Samani, Ari Paul type of thing. It was like, we just need to get a hold of like uh, a new project that is like really marketable and we can market it to a top five token. And that's what they were all trying to do back in like 20, 2018, 2019 was to try to find token that they could come that they could call an ethereum killer you know samani swung and missed with eos remember he was putting Mm -hmm. out something saying you know eos to 100 trillion or whatever the fuck it was Mm -hmm. you know and saying that you know hey there's just a chance guys and it was part of that whole pump leading up to the the main net going live in june of 2018 was like basically a multi-coin led pump for eos and of course it tanked and went to you know whatever Mm-hmm. trivial barely top 100 coin it is today and and they made it happen with solana they pumped the hell out of solana solana is you know very similar consensus mechanism to to mm-hmm. EOS or any other broken proof of stake protocol like not going to make it not going to work not decentralized not going to matter it's cheaper it's more like spreadsheets than ethereum so it's an ethereum killer because it has cheaper transactions whatever and you know last spring uh, Andreessen bought $300 million of discounted Solana tokens from the, from the founding team that they'd printed out of thin air and kept on their balance sheet. And then they put their machine to work behind Solana all summer, celebrities everywhere, coordinating with CAA, Mike Ovitz, as you know, the founder of CAA is an advisor since inception at Andreessen Horowitz, their ties to like Ashton Kutcher and, you know, uh, Guy Osiri and, and those guys, you know, that, that was just this big Solana pump they gave you know coins to all, the all-in podcast guys. All had Solana, as you know, Calacanis and Chamath and David Sachs and all these guys. And there was just this nobody's talking about Solana anymore. Why? They don't give a shit. The dump is over. Like the pump was last. The pump was last year, and they all sold the top. And they said, "You're holding, right? Ish. You're holding, right? Ish. They're not holding. They dumped. You know, and that's what they do, right? So you then you look at Luna luna is interesting because what what's fascinating about luna and why i really love this story so much is they got rid of the vcs basically in the mechanism they said you know what instead of using all this marketing and all this bullshit to try to pump this coin because that's like a long con and that's like Mm -hmm. a, a different kind of ponzi that plays out over a number of years or whatever let's literally just use market makers and a structure of of token sinks and liquidity sinks and liquidity, you know, um, of of yield to actually create a real Ponzi that can just grow through the incentives and the protocols. And so what it is basically that, so this is like, you know, this again was like Polychain funded, Pantera, uh, not sure who else was in it. Jump was big in it. Um, And obviously Galaxy was huge in it. And remember these guys all, got away with the money, right? Like Galaxy said, they made money on it. Mm-hmm. And Terra said they were hundred X mm-hmm. on their investment. So yeah, it dumped and went to zero, but the mm-hmm. insiders are all just fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and in many cases, like buying yachts on this stuff like Mantera. So what they did, and maybe you've covered this already with mm-hmm. somebody else. Okay, so I'll just explain it. It's been, a, it'll be new for your audience. Um, so they created this supposedly decentralized stable coin. There's no such thing as a decentralized algorithmic stablecoin. It's an oxymoron. It's actually impossible. Um, You have to conduct open market operations to maintain a peg by definition, because the information of the value of a dollar comes from off chain. Mm -hmm. By definition, you you can't take off chain information and assets and like put it on chain. This is the Oracle problem. The Oracle problem has never been solved. Exactly. Which is why Chainlink is a complete scam. Um, And so... They knew that because the Basis team tried to do this in 2018 and they're way fucking smarter than Doquan and anybody involved in Terra. And they said, oh, this is impossible to do unless you're a security because we're going to have to be involved. And so they right. gave up and he took that code. Uh, and and they gave the, the money back, right? Basis they just, gave the money back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And they gave them like 90% of it back. Yeah. Um, and then, so Doquan saw this and Created a pseudonym for himself, calls himself Rick Sanchez, and took the code and launched Basis Cash in 2019. Hmm. It built up to a 60 million market cap, and then the peg broke and it went to zero. Hmm. We don't know how much of it he sold back then
2: hmm.
1: to line his pockets. And then he decided to try it again with Luna to create UST, claiming all oh, this, is like how amazing it'll be if we have this decentralized stablecoin. Guys, like, Decentralization, decentralized finance, like none of this shit's gonna work. We humans are not gonna have freedom unless you get on board with my plans for a decentralized algorithmic stablecoin. If we don't have this, we can't truly be free as humans.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though it's impossible to fucking do. And you're only talking about recreating the dollar anyway. Like who cares if you're stable to the dollar? That's another point. Um, and so what they did is they said, okay, we see that we've now sort of marketed and gotten the market to believe that Luna, our shitcoin that we printed, the success of Luna is largely dependent on the the market cap, the growing balance of UST. How many people trust UST as a stable dollar? As they saw that market cap start to grow, they'd see it go from five to six, but they'd see the market cap of Luna go from 15 to 20. Mm -hmm. So it was high beta to UST market cap. As Soon as they saw that, they said, oh my God, all we've gotta do is just pump the market cap of UST and give people a reason to hold their value in UST, and we will be able to sell our ill-gotten free Luna tokens into the pump because people think there's a vibrant Luna ecosystem if UST is growing. So they said, oh, we centralized team at Terraform Labs, let's create this anchor protocol, also created by Doquan. Anchor, all it is, is you park your UST there and you get 20% interest, that's it that's it so they got rid of all the mechanisms around okay we need a, like 10 smart phds and we need these dope white right. papers we need all this marketing we need these telegram groups like give me straight, a hoskinson straight give me to a the fucking pocketbook catalog. straight to the straight to the Ponzi scheme so so they launched anchor and people started to park UST at anchor and this is where you know when I looked at this for the first time was when they announced that they were going to start buying Bitcoin and all of a sudden a bunch of you know pseudo Bitcoiners like Pomp started pumping the shit out of Luna and having him on their show and like saying like, oh, guys, this is how we can all like be friends and play together. And like, oh, maybe all these shit coins are going to buy Bitcoin. Won't that be good for Bitcoin? Mm. And so I took a look at it and I saw first thing that clued me in took less than 30 minutes to see, which is that somebody keeps topping up this anchor reserve to pay out that 20% yield. Mm. Who is that? Why would they do that?
2: Mm.
1: right and it was terraform labs and jump the otc desk that were that were topping up the anchor reserve and just giving away free money they'd already given away one and a half billion dollars and they claimed that it was because it was good marketing for the terra ecosystem and for anchor and that they'd make it up you know on the back end later when this thing became like bigger than the world they would get that back in fees or whatever Mm -hmm. wow and i was like man you really think that you couldn't spend that 1.5 billion dollars on something better than that like crypto.com just bought Staples center for 10 years for like 700 million you're going to pay double and spend it in like 3 months i <laughs> think they could, they could like, buy like nine super bowl ads like just do every single ad on the super bowl next year yeah yeah <laughs> you know so it was very obvious like qui bono who benefits the only one that would benefit from giving away one and a half billion dollars is somebody that's making more billions by dumping Luna. Right. So That's what I recognized by the last week of March. And that's why I started tweeting out and, and going on the media and, and telling people this thing is going to collapse because it was obvious it was going to.
0: Well, you, so, I mean, hats off to you, first of all, because a lot of people just won't a do the research and B, I still think it takes a certain skill set to see through the bullshit, right? You had yeah. to, you had to seize on to the filling up of that protocol, and then read between the lines what was actually going yeah. on.
1: So, I, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I have to admit, like, I, I started being a journalist at age thirteen. I went to journalism school. Mm-hmm. I studied upper level stats in undergrad, <clears throat> the hardest stats classes that I could take. In read all school. Taleb's books at all labs books i was a management consultant for 7 years including mckinsey and doing private equity stuff and then i've also been raising money since like 2004 and evaluating business plans and pitches and meeting mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and like looking for red flags yeah right so i've got a very developed I have a lot of experience i don't like you can judge for yourself like how yeah. good i am i'm not going to make any claims to that but yeah. i will say i have a lot of experience determining whether somebody is telling the truth or they're not right. whether their plan will work or whether it will not and i have like tons of frameworks and tools to break down math and stats and logic to see if what they're saying makes any sense at all right And that was why it was very easy once I actually looked at it to say like, oh, plan B is completely full of shit. And Doquan is completely full of shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So you're you're well equipped to dissect these relatively complex areas and see the truth through the bullshit. So, all right. Great definition of scam. Let me ask you this, though. 95%, I think, of startup businesses fail. Does that mean they're scams? Because the guy's set out with good intentions. Maybe they raise real money. They're trying to do a real thing and then it just doesn't work. And it, they not lose all, all the money.
1: Not at all. I mean, these things are regulated and there's there's information symmetry for the most part. You know, these, and it's not 95%, it's like 90. And then if you actually take like small businesses and call them startups, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, if you ever read uh, like From Zero to One uh, by Peter Thiel yeah. where in the first couple chapters, he kind of breaks down venture math. And he points out, like, you know, Andreessen was the example, but like Andreessen's big win of Instagram with only 12 employees selling for a billion dollars to Facebook, like, didn't was a drop in the bucket for Andreessen because they didn't have enough money in it in the earliest round. And it didn't go up high enough. What you really need is like a Google that goes into the tens and then the hundreds of billions, and you kind of write it up all the way. You need to be able to put a lot of money to work and get it in early and then Mm -hmm. write it for a long time. So the venture model is looking for only home run businesses. So they actually want something like one in 10 to succeed because that one is going to go up a hundred X or a thousand X and they don't care if the other one's right down to zero. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're a portfolio company of a VC and you've done your A round with them and they're looking at you for the B round and you've grown 20% year over year, they're just looking at like, okay, if we double down and give you more money now, can that get you on a much higher trajectory where you start to, you know, look more like, you know, doubling and tripling year over year or more than that. Yeah. Or should we just pull your funds and you can just like, just be a business and we're just Mm -hmm. not gonna fund you anymore and you can stay alive, whatever, we don't care about you anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they'll often do is they'll just, they'll try to pile in the money because they want you to either be a home run or fail. Mm -hmm. They just, they don't want singles and doubles. It doesn't make any difference to their returns. And they, you know, there's no difference to the size of their house on the peninsula.
0: So the difference then between the startup that fails and the crypto asset shitcoin project that fails is the, you mentioned information symmetry.
1: Mm -hmm. Where is that at the regulatory layer? Where is that exactly? Yeah, I mean, you have like term sheets that you have to, you know that have tons of legalese and you know everybody kind of uses the same basic terms for these yeah. types of investments and you know so if you're talking about like silicon valley style startups whatever city around the world they are yeah. that's like kind of part of that ecosystem like it's very well understood generally like what you're investing in what the basic terms are there's millions of people trained in like how to write these things and how to dissect them and you know how to think about this term versus that term and what makes it into the term sheet and what doesn't and it's all just kind of like very well understood. Like it's a, it's um it's a platform on which you can build successful tech businesses.
0: Right. And it's built on the regulatory layer, the, the rule of law basically it's, or at least the contracts are signed in the shadow yeah. of the law. So is the That's problem right. then with crypto being more scammy than let's just say venture capital, mm-hmm. that it exists orthogonal to the law in a lot of the ways.
1: It's just, so how how I think of the crypto casino where there's like no dollars come out, they just get redistributed Hmm. is, it's basically just outside the arm of regulators at present. Mm -hmm. Just like online gambling was in the aughts and they had like a really good five or six year run. And then, you know, regulators came in and chopped the head off. And I think you'll see that in the next couple of years here. Hmm. I think it's like clear that almost everything on Coinbase is a security. You know, I believe Ethereum is clearly a security. Mm -hmm. They may get away with it. If you look at the Loomis bill, it looks like there are enough uh, people who've already seen drafts of this thing that, you know, if that becomes law as is, it looks like Ethereum will get away with it. But it was a centralized team that said they were going to raise money and try to raise the price of the token. That's a security. Like it passes the Howey test on all four counts.
0: (sighs) Yeah. Especially if there's so much money being made, you would imagine that would influence this, the, the legislation. There's,
1: regardless of what Niraj at Coin Center, the altcoin booster says, like there are tons of lobbyists talking to regulators from these crypto companies and they're basically you know, influencing legislation mm-hmm. and causing New York to ban proof of work mining and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, crypto okay. is all over DC. Yeah,
0: makes sense. All right, so we've got, a handle on a scam i think to some extent. All right, let me ask you this. Are traditional casinos scams in your estimation? Like the Las no, Vegas casinos?
1: They're not scams. I mean, they're pretty obvious about what they are and they're regulated and you know, they have they have limits that they've negotiated over time with you know, essentially like customer advocate groups that have said like it's just unfair for you guys to take like a 6% rip, but we're okay with you taking a 3% rip to the house on this game, you know? And that's kind of yeah. like developed over time. It's not a fly by night industry. It's been there for a long time. You know, it ain't the Godfather anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's expensive entertainment. I think when you have, you know, casinos that are essentially like just taking advantage of like Friday paycheck, Friday paycheck, blowing gambling addicts, Uh like that's a huge problem. Uh I don't look into it too much and I'm not trying to compare (laughs) one or the other. I think where you, by bringing up casinos, I think what we should be looking at is this will be an interesting one. Um, So there are people that say we should not have crypto be regulated because nothing should be regulated. And that's a principled stance. I've seen Pierre Richard, who I respect immensely, Mm -hmm. tweet this out. I would counter and say, if you believe that's true, then you should have absolutely no problem with like Ponzi schemes being marketed to your grandma at the nursing home, direct mail being sent to like, you know, you can buy a list of people that are like old or mentally compromised and send them direct mail (laughs) promising hex style returns. And if none of that is regulated fine if if nothing nothing around penny stock pump and dumps are regulated and it's just like we're just gonna let all that happen totally cool Hmm. and you know so if that's if you've been banging the drum for the last decade calling for deregulation of actual ponzi schemes and penny stocks then maybe you have a leg to stand on calling for no regulation of crypto haven't met that person yet So I think it's just very, very self-serving uh, to call for that here. And then you've got the argument from people that are, you know, way smarter than me, like an Alan Farrington, explaining very clearly in you know, a short tweet thread that would probably take me ten thousand words to to yeah. spell out. But like very as, as clearly as I can say, like capital formation basically shrinks to almost nothing without regulation. that the information asymmetry in financial contracts and financial dealings, Uh, is so great that it's actually impossible without the threat of punishment for capital to actually form and for capital to flow to the best use, Mm. to its best uses, that you actually need some regulation, that uh, market-driven solutions will never arise, that essentially the government and the regulatory framework is the market-driven solution to this problem of information asymmetry in financial contracts
0: sounds like a whole episode in and of itself because if bitcoin yeah or i'll come on with them if you want if bitcoin radically (laughs) succeeds in the way that we think it could we might be dealing with that very problem right like how do you regulate in a bitcoinized world it's a lot more complicated well you're still going to have
1: contracts between people bitcoin's just the money
0: Correct, but I'm saying today contracts are executed in the shadow of law, right? Like if you don't abide by the contract, then we have recourse to the law. Well, mm-hmm. might have a lot less recourse to the law in a Bitcoinized world. I don't know. That's all. That's a whole thing. Yeah, we don't, we don't have to get there. Yeah. Let me. Let's continue on this scam trajectory, though. So traditional casinos, not necessarily scams, is everything in the A16Z, all their crypto fund positions. Those are all scams.
1: All their crypto fund positions are scams. Yes.
0: Okay. Every crypto. Except for
1: well, the the infrastructure stuff is hard, right? Because those are like businesses that facilitate trading in crypto, and
0: these are their exchange investments <laughs> and whatnot
1: exchange investments or like, you know, custodian plays, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, And and again, that's where like the 40 billion of crypto equities went into that or also buying the equity of of the foundation teams that create shit coins. Um, And that's a little bit difficult because just like we were saying, like, you know, some people enjoy gambling in a casino. And if that's Mm -hmm. their form of entertainment, then so be it. You know, I am a big proponent of people to be able to trade whatever the fuck they want. Mm -hmm. If it's legal to do so, like, Mm -hmm. so I have plenty of friends still that trade shit coins, you know, and new people that I've met through being in the Bitcoin space the last few years that still trade shit coins, Mm -hmm. you know, some great ones, some smart ones, you Mm -hmm. know, Dustin Trammell, the third guy running Bitcoin, and I'm an advisor to Trammell Venture Partners, like he openly says on Twitter, like he trades shit coins to make more Bitcoin, and he's Mm -hmm. good at it. You Good know, for him. He's got a little company doing algorithms and, you know, mm. like catching these shitcoin pumps and he he just enjoys it. It's like a video game to him and he's a longtime mm. gamer and, you know, but it's a video game that makes him a shitload of money. Mm. God bless. I think traders you better be mercenary and emotionless if you're a trader or you'll get completely wrecked.
0: You have yeah, absolute occupational necessities. Yeah. Um,
1: but investing is very different. I think there's a very sort of moral ethical component to investing. Oh, okay. I make a huge distinction between a trader and like a venture investor and in right. what they choose to put their money in and what they choose to promote because they have to do all the marketing.
0: So it's okay in your view then for traders to be mercenary, like you can trade things that might be considered immoral to invest in. Is that what you're saying?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I may not, I would counsel people like I'd prefer they not trade, but it's not like it's not the same thing as actually being a pump and number.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Which because what, you're not you're not promoting. Like you're just trading. Yeah, but
1: like Aliya and Chris Dixon and all these people at Andreessen, like they've completely sold out any like their legacy is completely fucking destroyed. <laughs> and you know, Ben and Mark are looking like shit now. And they used to be, you know, lauded. Got <laughs> like the guy that invented the fucking browser, <laughs> created Netscape. <laughs> And you know, I think he's like literally one of the biggest obstacles to the progress of human freedom and economic success. And
0: when you say let me when you say obstacle to Bitcoin success, I think is how mm-hmm. you're positioning crypto here. What yeah, what is what are the mechanics of that obstacle? This is all this money keeps going into these scams, retail's getting wiped out. That's money that should have gone into Bitcoin. Is that what you mm-hmm. mean when you say obstacle? Yeah,
1: yeah. But I mean, it, it's all the different things that they do. It's the promotion of like ESG narratives and like mm. anti-proof of work stuff. It's yeah. the, you know, I mean, it's the Bitcoin affinity scamming and trying to right. get people to like go into the crypto funnel instead of the the Bitcoin funnel. It's talking about Bitcoin, but then like only advertising crypto.com and SoFi and FTX and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's just kind of all the all the catching people that yeah otherwise would find bitcoin a lot further like the 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 ltv of somebody coming into the space if you can fool them with crypto crapto for longer you can get more money out of them before they get through the shitcoin horseshoe and discover bitcoin and right. understand it they gotcha. want that to be like a five-year cycle or a 10-year cycle not like three months they can't have any more sailors understanding the difference (laughs) between bitcoin and shitcoin in a few months you know they need they need five years of you in the casino first and they hope that you become a solidity dev before you start a bit like a lightning company yeah wow so they can milk you for a while
0: so all right last one then on the scam topic is the u.s dollar a scam
1: we know what it is is there is there a lot of debate about what it is do we have pretty good information if you research it for few hours on the internet again with decent research skills and decent intelligence can you figure out what the dollar kind of is and you know you can't fucking trust it and they can print more and
0: yeah i don't know i don't know that it's easy to figure out um I think you can obviously figure it out if you get good resources, but I don't know. Just turning someone loose, the average guy or girl turning them loose on Google, like go tell me if yeah. the dollar's a scam or not. I don't know. Yeah, they'll run into a bunch up. of
1: Keynesians, won't they? Yeah. 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 They, they will believe, like, I had a conversation with um, a, a fellow YPO member who had just sold his company and went straight to DeFi started two protocols, I think, including one on Luna, because he's been silent the last month. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so he doesn't know anything about Bitcoin. And he's convinced that you can't have money that has a fixed supply.
2: Keynes, but meanwhile, yeah, this is this is somebody who Washington.
1: qualified for YPO, which meant like, I don't know, like big company, lots of employees, and, and decided to sell that, his share, you know, to his partners and leave that to go straight into DeFi because that's the future Mm -hmm. and he has no information on money and no information on bitcoin and i think that would have been a lot harder to not even come across anything related to bitcoin even like five years ago Mm -hmm. so i think that's the result of the flood of money into crypto and coinbase ftx Mm -hmm. and crypto.com ads on the super bowl and matt damon and larry david and tom brady and fucking floyd medweather and logan paul and everybody from CAA and everyone and Jason's friends with like, I think that's the result of this crypto pump and dump short time to liquidity. We make our own weather. (laughs) I think that's the result is that you're actually getting a lot of people that could understand Bitcoin, not even seeing it. They don't even get into the funnel. They're just, they're, they're hanging out above the funnel and going down the wrong funnel.
0: Right. It's getting swept up in all the noise.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's RV crypto, like, oh, like he saw, he saw where the money was. There's no money in promoting Bitcoin. (laughs) There's way more money in promoting crypto and doing crypto retreats and taking like, you know, and again, like what's your seat, right? It doesn't matter whether you actually publicly accepts a check from Ripple or publicly accepts a check from like Polychain. It's all the money comes in the side door right you know like invest answers this guy james that's blown up on youtube like he's got like four hundred thousand subs or whatever like obviously the dude's taking money in the back door of <laughs> course he has the celsius guy on like every three weeks and like they're pumping this there's all these rumors about payola between him and like digital asset news and these other guys like that claim to be doing it out of the goodness of their hearts and they donated all the charity and it's like well then why do you keep on having scammers on there <laughs> so
0: is this all right the theme i'm um detecting here is that all of this crypto phenomenon beyond Bitcoin is just a modern manifestation of this irresistible temptation to print money. I mean, anywhere and everywhere humans have gained the power to print money or produce money, they've done it. And they've done it until the money in question is typically printed into worthlessness. Is that what's going on here? This is just another version of that? People trying to get their hands in the cookie jar so to speak
1: yeah but it's not i mean it's it's not the mechanism of them printing money it's just being it's just they can make money in unethical ways
0: well well i guess what i'm saying when i say printing money they're producing these tokens out of thin yeah. air and then they sell but them i think it doesn't
1: like... yeah i think that's true but it doesn't really matter whether you call the token money or not mm-hmm. the fact that they can sell it for money is what matters Yeah. So you know, if you could sell Theranos stock for money, that's scam. Yeah. You know. So I mean, there are plenty of business scams out there. There was Madoff long before there was Luna, and there was Theranos before there was you know whatever other shit coin.
0: Yeah. So that's what I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that this is. This is just bad incentives, I suppose. The fact that you can just go and produce this thing and that there are people that will buy it. There's enough ignorance in the world yeah. about how these this technology works. Again, it's a window it in anyway. time.
1: It's a window in time where you can get this short time to liquidity mm-hmm. and you can make your own weather by marketing and unregistered right. security where there's no laws and no repercussions and like right. almost no penalties. Like Block One can do whatever they want, make $4 billion and get fined 24 mil. And that's the mm-hmm. worst penalty that's ever been levied on a shitcoin. Mm-hmm right and Dokonan can do whatever he wants and then he he rugged his own protocol for 80 million a few weeks before the thing collapsed that came out today we'll see like what the reporting is on that but that wow. that was on twitter all over the place this morning um and so we'll see what happened there but why would you be surprised of course he would he mm-hmm. holds the keys it's centrally controlled and you dumbasses let him get away with it like <laughs> this guy is going to jail he should be in jail garlinghouse should be in jail hoskinson should be in jail like these guys are all criminals
0: And you think that they're all knowingly doing this? I mean, these are the guys leading these projects. They, they don't, I mean, I guess Doquan's a different example. I mean, Doquan
1: definitely knows. Richard Hart definitely knows. The Link guy definitely knows. Hoskinson knows. Carlinghouse definitely knows. Like, Most of them know. I don't know if you get down into like the hundreds where there's a 24 year old founder, if they actually know, maybe they think they're saving the world with some shit. But yeah, yeah, for the most part, I think most of these people know, especially the ones that have been around a while.
0: What a sad life. What a sad existence to just every day you wake up and you're like, I'm just going to go spew bullshit from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed and wake (laughs) up tomorrow and do it again. This seems really sad.
1: I've got a juicy one, by the way, which I was just made aware of yesterday. Um, So, hey, Dennis, breaking news. Anyway, I'm not going to name any names here. So no companies, no tokens, no nothing. But I was made aware yesterday from an insider uh, that a lot of the single token trusts and funds, uh, the AUM is in many cases 99 to 100% provided by the centralized team behind the printing of the token (laughs) and so they list it and they promote this product and hope that somebody some institutional investor will buy it and then they just redeem and that's their exit liquidity so i'll leave it to your audience to go and look up the various Companies and products that have single-token crypto funds, but I never understood why they would list these things. I also never understood why they would list uh, like shitcoin indexes. But the reason they list shitcoin indexes is because the AUM for the shitcoin index is, in many cases, also provided by the centralized token team. So, like the the people that created and printed the tokens and the early VCs will contribute their tokens to the fund so that it has a high market cap and looks successful and it looks like other people bought it. And then they market the hell out of it. And that's another avenue for exit liquidity. Wow. So anyway, there are multiple people from CNBC and Wall Street Journal looking at this now that I've been teeing up yesterday and today to try to dig into this. But you know that is something that is completely illegal in traditional markets. Yeah. it's uh it's probably just unethical in crypto because they are not securities
2: mm-hmm.
1: right so you can get away with shit like that because they're not securities right not now yet. you work in this industry full-time and you were working on the crypto side in 2018 and bitcoin ever since you're smart as hell and you're a finance guy did you have any idea this was going on no some information asymmetry there huh
0: yeah i knew market caps were heavily manipulated um but i didn't know that of these
1: were... fund products i didn't no no not any. the fund. I never products. everyone thought about that not everyone thought products. about that the tokens yeah
0: i didn't know I about, the fund thought products. about
1: that yeah so again not naming any names because i think there's some reporting to be done by professional journalists but i find that to be uh if it ends up being true Truly reprehensible.
0: Indeed. So, okay. I've done a thorough unpacking of the scams here. Then there are, I guess, when people evaluate the crypto asset universe, there's sort of two poles you can be on. and you could be a lot of places in between. One would be Bitcoin is the only, I'll say, time chain, which I think is the better term, that will ever survive in the long run and on the other end of the spectrum people would say bitcoin is outdated tech and all these other things are more important i think you fall on the end of the spectrum where it's bitcoin everything else is going away but correct me if i'm wrong and depending on where you fall what would cause you to change your mind is there any is there any space in your mind for uncertainty that one of these projects, any of them of the, I don't know how many there are now, 30,000 cryptos, that one of them could- We'll, say, it, we'll
1: say it's still 20,000. 20,000. Um, okay. So let me ask you this. Um, how many of the 20,000 tokens have had an all-time high against Bitcoin and then- Three or more, three or more years later, had a new all-time high versus Bitcoin.
0: Probably zero.
1: The exception proves the rule. There's one. Wow. Doge, because Elon pumped it. <laughs> so wow. yeah, Do- Doge had like you know it's been around for a long time and yeah, yeah it had uh, it had an all-time high and more than three years later had a new all-time high.
0: In Bitcoin terms. No, yeah.
1: in Bitcoin terms. Yeah. No other token has ever done that. So my view is that, uh, you know, as I've said, like, I think, you know, Ethereum hit 0.83 of Bitcoin's market cap in Mm -hmm. 17, May of 17. It hit like 0.55 this cycle, if there are cycles, whatever. I think, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, five years cycles or no cycles, like five, six years from now it'll be like maxing out at 0.15 or 0.2 and eventually mm-hmm. just kind of goes away like B Bcash. Mm-hmm. Um, but there will always be new pumps and dumps as long as they're allowed.
0: Yeah, this whole, like this framing is useful because I guess in the past it's like, okay, my study of the space leads me closer and closer to Bitcoin only. But I'd always left this sort of provisional gap where it's like, well, clearly there's some other shit going on here because there's a lot of money and a lot of investment, there's a lot, a lot of, of shit going on, tons and more. And it's incredible like how much there is. And so I always just sort of left that provisional gap in my mind, like, well, they know something I don't, and whatever, that's good for them. Um, realizing that a lot of that is scam, but I, um, I guess I had a hard time believing that it's all a scam. But it sounds like... Is there a lot of
1: nice people working in crypto? (laughs) There are. Like, I I have friends that work in crypto. Yeah. You know? And I'm not going to sit there and, like, tell them that they're, like, totally bad people. and disagree with them on something. I also believe that they're going to be Bitcoiners in the future. Yeah. You know? Because I think we all are going to be. You know? And so... I don't know i think it it, there's a special place reserved for people that actually like willfully lie and misrepresent and i think that's a lot worse but when it comes to like your opinions over you know whether you think one of these things is going to win versus bitcoin or even like really be like super useful Mm -hmm. in the future in some way uh, i think that's actually just false and so that's where i get back to like you know classical ethics which, you know, no A for effort. We've talked about this a little bit, mm. um, you know, and from Taleb where he talks about like, they used to make the, the bridge engineer live under the bridge for a year with his family. Yeah. Like all your net worth should have to be in UST if you're Do Kwan. Yeah. Right. That kind of shit. Like that mm. would, that would make somebody like, you'd be able to tell whether they believed in their protocol mm-hmm. if they couldn't get rich off of failures, Yeah, but they get rich off of failures over and over again. Cause these things all fail yeah um and so then i love love that you brought up casinos because the other way i often explain this is that uh that scene in the movie casino by scorsese where uh you know the guy that owns the casino is ace Rothstein, played by robert de niro and uh he's got like the the son of the county commissioner is like the the slots area pit boss basically not the pit boss but he like runs he's the slots manager and uh one slot machine gets hit for a jackpot three times in an afternoon And De Niro comes down just livid when he finds this out. And he's like, you know, you didn't know that something was wrong after it got hit the second time. Hmm. Like, you're fucking fired. I don't care if one, you're in on it Mm -hmm. or two, you're too stupid to know you were getting scammed. Mm -hmm. Either way, you're fucking out of here. And that's how I look at it. Like, I don't actually care because it is possible to research the stuff and come to the correct conclusion. Like the data's there. And so it's not my fault that you haven't figured it out. So stop talking out of your ass. If you're Lex Friedman, stop giving, you know, huge, long caveat intros to Safe Dean to protect your audience from his crazy views about Bitcoin while having this like warm, cuddly infomercial of scams for Hoskinson and Vitalik, you know? That's bullshit. Like, I don't know. I just, I just think the, (laughs) I just, I kind of miss journalism. I miss, I miss that there used to be uh, an unwillingness to give a platform to people without challenging their bullshit and a requirement that people who were hosting shows had to have like research teams and had to have actually like good questions and, and wouldn't have people on if, they were full of shit and then mainstream media is like down the toilet too right it's all opinion as well but you know broadcasts used to actually have a lot more adherence to truth and like challenging people and there were like Mm. actually good news shows like 60 minutes that actually like tried to figure shit out right so i don't know man it's just kind of a a disappointing information landscape out there right now but yeah i think there's uh it's, it's brutal
0: yeah, we, we disagreed about this in L.A., but I've only watched Lex's episodes with Bitcoiners, frankly. So I've like seen his episode with Nick, with Safe Dean, uh Alex Gladstein, um, someone else, I can't remember. But um, I, So I haven't compared his interview yeah. with them versus interviewer with whoever, Hodgkin yeah. or whatever. So you're saying he's actually... Because the other point you made was one of his sponsors is- One of his biggest
1: sponsors is Coinbase. Coinbase. And so basically, whether you're Pomp or Lex, the fact that you give a venue to crypto people Mm -hmm. to come and give them softball infomercials, give them that airtime and be friendly with them and let them say whatever they want, and you're not armed with counterpoints and you're unable to challenge them because you're just Mm -hmm. such a nice guy and you have so much love in your heart or whatever- Uh, And so you just give them a free infomercial in front of your massive audience. Mm -hmm. They're not going to pay you. You don't have to take money directly from the crypto scam artist to have you on their show. The money comes in the side door because of your seat. Mm -hmm. You have hung up a sign in bold letters saying like, I'm one of the good ones. You scammers are safe here. And then, you know, SoFi with their shit coins and crypto.com come and sponsor Pomp and make him rich and Lex Mm. gets Coinbase. That's the game. Mm. You just have to have an open mind. Sorry, but you have to be like a freedom maximalist (laughs) to get the crypto sponsors. (laughs) And I know that means something different to you. So I don't want to like argue over it, but you know, that's kind of their version. It's like, I have an open mind about these things. That was kind of like the Raul thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to throw you, I'm not going to Target you over freedom maximalism, even though I think you know it can be teased apart as we have already done. But uh, I just don't, don't believe in giving scammers your platform if you're a bitcoiner.
0: Yeah, we talked about that because you made the point that you think it's all right for bitcoiners to go on real vision or whatever in the Fox, lex's anywhere. show. Like clearly, sailor go going anywhere. on lex's show has
1: huge millions
0: positive. of views, huge positive. Yeah, um, There's,
1: there are exceptions that prove the rule, but they're so rare.
0: But don't be like the but only point,
1: exception. I go, go ahead. Your
0: point was don't bring shit corners don't bring scammers on your platform. platform. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I no. I say blanket, don't give scammers your platform regardless of who you are.
0: Right. So with Lex, right? Because I, again, I've only watched his Bitcoiner interviews, but I liked his interview style. I think he asked good questions yeah. and whatever, whatever. But your counterpoint was like, no, I thought his interview guys. of
1: Safe was crap. I think he kept on trying to like steel man, steel man things against safe. And like, mm-hmm. he just does like encouraging softball interviews with shit coiners. So I actually Interesting. disagree with
0: that. So that's why I've never, I've only ever seen him do these steel manning. I thought that's what his yeah. interview style was, but it sounds like I need to go watch a few of his shit interviews. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I'll ever get around to doing that. That's Honestly,
1: it's like watching paint dry. I can't watch the dude anyway. So.
0: Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Um, okay, so then we're not gonna have time to get into this, we'll have to do a part two. But all of that said, like all this scamminess that's occurring in the world, which when you get really deep into Bitcoin, man, it seems like a lot of shit in the world is a scam. A lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, when you consider the US dollar itself as a scam, that's um, yeah, that says it right? That's one of the most desired <laughs> assets in the world, and it's a big scam. So, this is the yeah. framing for the relevance and the utility of Bitcoin cultural toxicity. And maybe you could just say, so toxicity. I thought it was a cultural immune system for Bitcoin, still is. Mm -hmm. But you made this point last time when we were in LA that you said it also exists, I think you said this, to reduce asymmetries. So maybe you just give a quick like two minute, five minute, whatever time you got left here um, overlay, and then we'll do a part two to get into the details. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think we probably hit on it a few different ways so far already in this conversation, but uh, to focus on it specifically, you need in, in areas where there are lots of information asymmetry we humans tend to hire educated, expert, experienced, watchdogs of a sort to reduce the asymmetries for us. Hmm. And whether that arises from a market solution or a government solution or whatever it is, it's very clear that just like we love the fact that Bitcoin means we don't all have to be hedge fund managers to stay ahead of inflation, we don't all have to be experts in lie detection and you know financial instruments and you know and we don't all have to have huge networks huge byzantine networks of crypto vcs to be able to stay on top of like where the rug pull is and where the pump and dump is and like you never know if you're like the inner circle or the the one that they're pretending <laughs> is the inner circle but you're actually the one getting dumped on like all of that stuff Is just friction that doesn't add anything to the real economy. It's just trading games and crypto games. And it just does, it's just completely fucking worthless. And tying it back into like the scam that is the dollar, like this easy money that we've had and just the endless printing, to your point, that's what has pushed people so far out on the risk curve that you have like, you know, the Quebec retirement pension fund putting $350 million into Celsius which mm-hmm. can't even find a domicile to stay in and keeps losing hundreds of millions and 50 millions of dollars or whatever in different DeFi rug pulls. <laughs> and you know markets themselves as a better savings account where actually every single member is an unsecured creditor to their trading operation. And instead okay. of getting 80% of the profit, which is what you would get if you were you know, a hedge fund LP, you're getting like some interest, you're lending for like 6% or 7% or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just, it blows my mind that institutional investors are getting pulled into these types of scheme, you know, schemes and, and companies and tokens and, you know, Ethereum on the balance sheet of a corporation is just like the most hilarious thing I could possibly think of when they're literally like shutting it down and trying it over and proof of stake is busted from the beginning. Like, oh. I don't know, it's a, it's a very strange world. And again, these things are all symptoms of the fiat system that is like on the verge of collapse. And you know, the cure is Bitcoin. The cure for both the dollar and for all this crypto risk curve activity is Bitcoin. But yeah, I, I definitely believe at this point, like you don't see hyper Bitcoinization until essentially shit coins die.
0: So we are one shitcoin apocalypse away from hyper Bitcoinization
1: or Bitcoinization, but yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't think it can really accelerate until, you know, pretty much everybody sees the lie behind the shitcoin casino.
0: Beautiful. Well, this has been a very enlightening discussion and I look forward to part two, cause we've got a lot more to talk about. Um, I know you got to go, so talk to you soon.
1: All right, Rob. It's great to see you. Thanks great for having me.
0: Great to see you, Core.